today on Ag News Daily. Anytime that calves have a rough start, you're really affecting not only the rumen, which is really what we need to keep happy, but also the lower gut. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy NTBA convention, happy CattleCon 20. Delaney Howell here joining you from San Antonio, Texas for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual convention. I am wanted to make sure to point out today, we are sponsored, of course, being down here with Kent Nutrition Group, Kent Feeds. For those of you familiar with the products, going to have a great conversation coming up here later on the podcast. But I'm also joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, how you doing today? You know, I'm not too bad, Delaney, but I tell you what, I am in Chicago. There's snow going coming mm. down on the outside, the windows, and you are in San Antonio. Bring us up. What's the weather looking like down there? Yeah, you know what? I thought when I got here it would be nice and sunny, and I got in last night, and it was cold and kind of like sleeting a little bit. So hasn't been great weather so far, but the sun is out today. I'm hopeful it's a little nicer out today, but... You know, I want to throw this out there to all of our listeners down in San Antonio. I've been to that city four or five times. Not a lot, but a couple of times in my years on this planet. Every time I've been there, granted, they've all been in the winter, it has been chilly and gray. I've Mm -hmm. never seen San Antonio in the sun. So it's one of those things I'm hoping for, but I'm kind of wondering if if it even exists. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely sunny out today. Warm out, though? I don't think so. So, eh, I'll take it. But it was also gotcha. really exciting, Mike, to meet one of the other podcasters part of the Global Ag Network because we work together, but we don't often meet each other ever face-to-face. But Jason Meadows, host of the Ag State of Mind podcast, was is down here with his son, Levi. So it was great to connect with those people. And I just love the networking aspect of it all. Absolutely. And that's what these kind of conventions are all about. You go down there to learn. You go down there to rub elbows with other folks in the industry and hopefully come up with a few ideas, or I guess I should say come home with a few ideas that you can implement and be more successful. And there is something really to be said about the networking in agriculture, at whether it's CattleCon, whether it's Commodity Classic or Farm Progress Show, you know, you name it. We've got all these great events. Take advantage of it, folks. Absolutely. And it is cattle. It is a conference season, so there's a lot of good stuff coming up. There's probably something out there for everyone. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, I've got something interesting. Delaney, while you are down in San Antonio talking cattle, um, you know, we've been talking cattle quite a bit as it relates to Chinese demand as their hog herd is decimated with African swine fever. We've noted here over the past year that the big winner has been Brazil. They have picked up the lion's share of beef exports into China. You know, their beef is a little cheaper, and the Brazilian real has certainly made it more cost-effective to import from that country, plus, you know, the trade war that's been ongoing, Brazil's really been the winner on beef. However, there's another winner, and this was uh, news to me until I read this article. This is from Reuters. They said that Chinese appetite for Mexican steaks and other other cuts of beef is expected to grow more than 40% this year, in part because of the coronavirus outbreak, which I didn't understand quite at first. But basically... Chinese buyers, China only buys about 4% of Mexico's beef exports, but they have been growing. And the spread of coronavirus has people in China concerned about food security. Remember, it's suspected this coronavirus came from either a bat or a snake that was consumed at an open-air market. And so now people are going, hey, maybe we don't want to be doing that. Maybe we want to be you know, finding something a little more secure. And Mexico has a secure enough food supply that they feel comfortable purchasing Mexican cattle. So I didn't realize Mexico was going to be a big winner on this deal, but it certainly sounds like they might be. 
I actually wouldn't have pegged Mexico to have a super safe food source, actually, either. Right. Yeah, that kind of that kind of jumped out at me, too. But it's one of the things I guess they take very seriously. I guess that is so. Mike, in talking about the coronavirus, we're still seeing some uncertainty as far as the U.S.-Chinese trade negotiations go. But we did see a little bit of news on that front. Actually, twofold, if you will. China announced on Thursday that it will cut in half additional tariffs on $75 billion worth of U.S. imports as kind of a good faith move here, especially as the coronavirus continues to run rampant throughout their country and so far has affected about infected about 28,000 people over 25 countries and territories. And so, you know, the concern is, well, will this coronavirus completely delay any sort of phase one purchases? And China is now, you know, faith good measure, I would say, faith of good measure, cut in half some of these tariffs. But yesterday, Secretary Sonny Perdue also spoke at the NCBA convention. Unfortunately, I missed it, but I picked up snippets of what he shared in some of the wires today. And he said basically that he hadn't heard yet of a formal request coming from China about having some flexibility to meet those phase one commitments, but he said it is entirely possible and he wouldn't be surprised if that type of request is on its way. And he said if we were in the same situation, we would ask the same thing, so I guess it sounds like he's trying to give them a little bit of an extension, I suppose you could say. Yeah, and you know we've heard rumblings about this for probably the past week, maybe 10 days out of Beijing. Some of the lesser government ministers have been saying, hey, you know, this is going to impact our ability to actually complete this phase one deal. So I don't think it's surprising that the U.S. is going, hey, all right, you need a little time, we'll give you a little time, but, you know, let's not be left out in the cold on this thing. Let's actually see you buying some stuff. Right, exactly. Well, speaking of buying stuff, Delaney, uh, I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with Farm, excuse me, Farmers Business Network. We've had them on the podcast before. They are a startup that is uh, that does a lot of different things. But one of the things they do is offer an online marketplace selling seed and chemical and uh, other farm-related goods. Well, FBN tried to open up operations in Western Canada. Uh, They filed suit on January 30th in Canadian federal court, alleging that Bayer, Corteva, and BASF all acted in concert to stop FBN from starting their business, or I guess from being successful in their business. Those companies are wholesale, wholesale suppliers to Farmers Business Network, And when FBN announced it was moving into Canada, they said, we're not selling you any more stuff. And Mm. FBN is saying they acted in concert to, uh, you know, they acted together to uh, impede competition. And uh, they're taking them to court. So far, the the court is hearing it. They just had their initial statements. And we'll be following this as it goes forward, especially with large ag companies coming under fire during an election year here in this country, Delaney. Yeah, that is quite interesting that they think that those groups worked against their starting. Yeah, well, they're, they're saying that in Western Canada, at least, they okay. as soon as that announcement was made, those companies all said, all right, well, we're not selling you anything. Hmm. All right, so you're well, on your own to get, buy new supplies right, of seed and right. chemical and everything, and, you know, that's tough. Well, also coming to us in the agronomic industry, a little piece of news here. Corteva AgriSciences has officially announced that they will not be continuing the insecticide chlorpiferose and are going to stop making that chemical at the end of this year. They said it's a strategic business decision caused by really just a steady decline in sales. 
I mean, part of that too is coming at us with the announcement that California is trying to ban the product, and we're trying, and we're seeing some government regulation crack down on this type of product, this insecticide product, including New York and a couple other states. So, sounds like that will not be a tool in the toolbox by the end of this year. You know, it's interesting. You know, we've seen chlorpyrifos come under fire from the EPA. It was last year, I believe, or the year before, mm-hmm. under fire by the EU. So, I, I don't think a lot of folks who use it are terribly shocked that it is now going away, but I'm not entirely certain what alternatives exist for the pests that chlorpyphoros takes care of, particularly in some of the more specialty crops. So listeners, if you have used chlorpyphoros in the past, uh, give us a holler. What what are you planning to do now that it's being pulled from the market in uh, 2021, Delaney, you said? Yep, at the end of 2020. So yeah, by 2021, it'll be gone. So for next uh, next year, what are you going to do? How are you going to still manage your crops? Uh, without one of these tools, because I, I just don't know that much about chlorpyrifos. Yeah, I don't either, but that's a good question to ask. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we're talking a little bit about exports. Of course, we talk about exports. In agriculture, they're a huge driver of uh, profitability on American farms, and exports have been struggling. Yeah, we've noticed this across the board, particularly in the corn market, and they're going to struggle again, it looks like as the U.S. dollar jumps to a four-month high earlier today. This is against the euro and in the U.S. dollar index. And um, this was because we've had such strong U.S. economic numbers, and we're getting less concerned about the spread of coronavirus. So those two factors came together. They're making the world look at the U.S. as a safe haven, and they're buying those U.S. dollars, driving the price of the dollar up, which makes it more expensive for foreign countries to buy our goods. So hopefully we can continue to see positive export sales from those countries that really need to get food in their people's bellies, but they're going to have to write a heftier check if they want to buy their stuff from the U.S., it looks like. Yeah. I mean, Mike, what's your takeaway, too, on why we continue to see the U.S. dollar strengthen? It, you know, we've talked about this for several years, Delaney. It's, it's kind of more of the same story. Uh, we're the best house in a bad neighborhood. Uh, the U.S. economy is plugging along. We are cutting interest rates, but only slightly. We're certainly cutting them far less than our international competitors. And, you know, we're now a decade from our last recession. That's an unprecedented length of time in America. Well, I don't want to say in American history. since about 1900, at least. And uh, all those things are coming together to make uh, both domestic and foreign investors look at the U.S. as a very safe place to put their currency. They like the value of the dollar. They like the trajectory this country is on. And those things together combine to, to have folks bid more aggressively uh, in the, the dollar markets. All right. Well, I guess that makes sense. But, yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about it, that it's been over 10 years since the recession. Yeah, yeah, I think we're on we're on year eleven now, I believe, mm-hmm. and I believe it is the first time in history. I just don't want to say that. I know it's at least since nineteen hundred. We've uh, okay. not had a decade go by without a recession. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess maybe one is inevitable then. Unfortunately. Well, they always are. That's the business cycle. We just never know when. That's true. That is true. Mike, I just have one other piece of news. This would be maybe a little more fitting on a Tech Tuesday segment of the podcast. But I thought it was an interesting one nonetheless. We are seeing researchers at Purdue University have developed a new tool that identifies the presence of harmful bacteria such as E. coli, listeria, etc. Because of the increased concern we've seen in the food system, especially as you look at the E. coli problem with the romaine lettuce outbreak, 
We see foodborne illnesses kill about 3,000 people annually, and so these researchers at Purdue, I don't understand the technology exactly. They use a lot of fancy words. It sounds like they, it's, it's through a smartphone technology using laptops. Somehow they, there's all these fancy words that I'm not even going to take my time using. New tools, basically, that use a smartphone and laptop to assess various components and somehow can detect the presence of bacteria in food samples. Interesting. Can they do this on like a produce line, or does it have to? Do they have to inspect each little sample. That is a good know, question. Specifically, right? I. That's a good question. I don't know. I think they would be. It'd be interesting to have them on for a future Tech Tuesday episode. Yes, I think we'll have to dig in because we haven't done a lot with uh, with specialty crops, and they are a huge market and a major source of profits for American agriculture. Absolutely, they are. Well, Lenny, while we're talking profits, we probably ought to jump in and talk markets. What do you think? I think we should, Mike. But before we do that, let's hear a quick word from today's Hot Rod Farmer Minute. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. As the integration of electronic controls becomes more common on the farm, there is a need to understand some new terms. One of them is the acronym PID, P-I-D. It stands for Proportional Integral Derivative. Quite a mouthful, yet it is part of your everyday life. In simple terms, any mechanical system that has electronic controls to maintain a set value works on a PID loop. The oxygen sensor that keeps the air-fuel ratio correct on an engine, a grain bin temperature control that maintains a certain set point, an auto-steer system that keeps your tractor going straight. All function on a proportional integral derivative. When any PID loop makes the wrong decision, it is paramount to make sure that the sensors, which are called the feedback, are not skewing. For example, if the oxygen sensor on your pickup truck thinks that the mixture is lean when it is rich, then the controller will add even more fuel to the already incorrect air-fuel ratio. Identify all the PID loops on your farm and equipment. This way, if there is a problem, you will approach it with the proper thought process. It doesn't work on magic. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. All right, well, thanks, Ray. Always great insights there from our friend, the Hot Rod Farmer. As we take a look at the grain markets today, we've got, uh, you know, corn down, beans mixed, wheat down. So a little bit more of the same. March corn down one and a half cents at three seventy nine and a quarter. May contract down two cents at three eighty four and a half. In soybeans, the March contract dropped a penny to finish at eight eighty one even. May down one and a quarter. Closed the day at eight ninety four and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, that March contract dropped five and three quarters, finishing the day at five fifty six and a quarter. May down five and a half. Closed at five fifty three and a half. Looking over at livestock, positive day. A lot of green on the screen. Not substantial victories for producers, but nice to see green up there. In live cattle, the April contract up 57.5 cents at 119.75. The June up 35, closing at 111.17.5. Feeders, the March contract up 22.5 cents at 135.90. April up 32.50 to finish at 137.57.5. And in hogs, the April contract was up the daily trading limit of $3 to finish at 64.875. 
and the May also limit up on the day at 73.30. Quick look at our friends in the dairy market. We've got green and dairy today as well. The February contract up seven cents at 16.96, and the March up 19, closing at 17.25. Delaney, why don't you tell us all again who we're going to be talking to for today's interview? Absolutely. Well, as promised, today's episode is, of course, sponsored by Kent Feeds, and I chatted with Terry Walsh of Kent Feeds looking at a new product primed for performance. Well, we are very thankful that Kent has sponsored us to be down here at NCBA. I am catching up with Terry Walsh, who is the beef product manager for Kent. And Terry, you have just given a really interesting, I'm going to call it seminar for lack of better terms, down here at NCBA at the Learning Lounge, which is a time when producers can come together, learn some knowledge about the beef industry, all facets, really. And you guys obviously focus on nutrition, but the theme, the title was Primed for Performance. Tell me a little bit more about that title, what that meant. Right. Well, thanks for having me, Delaney. It's good to have this conversation with you. So when we're talking about Prime for Performance, we're really thinking about anytime our cattle experiencing stress. Because when we experience stress, we have a loss of appetite, we have some immune function, di immune system dysfunction rather, and we really want to make sure we're keeping those cattle in a normal state so that they can perform at their optimal. So we, that's why we developed our Kent Performance Primer, uh, a top dress so it's easy to pull in, pull out anytime there's a period of stress research proven to help cattle perform better whether it be heat stress cold stress or just the stress of being a calf in a new environment yeah they certainly face a lot of stress and i like that you mentioned too the most stressful day that a calf will face is the day they're being weaned so that poses the question is this only for that period in their life or are there other periods where it makes sense to use this type of product well it's not only for weaned cattle so any you know, any time in the feedlot period, we can have a heat event or we can have an extreme cold event like we had last year around this time. And that's another opportunity to add our, our Kent Performance Primer. Uh, we did have a, a research trial in southern Illinois on some heavy cattle weighing at least 1,150 pounds, had a big stress event, and we saw that not only were they had higher intake going into this heat event, but they maintained an advantage over the control group after six days in that heat event to the tune of a pound and a half per head per day on dry matter, which is really huge. Yeah, that's that's definitely very huge. And, and the other kind of slogan, I guess, that you used a lot today was starting cattle off right. Tell me a little bit more about why that is so important for the beef industry. Well, any time that calves have a rough start, we're really affecting not only the rumen, which is really what we need to keep happy, but also the lower gut. We're letting pathogens come in. They maybe get a little bit of a foothold, and we see maybe some things that just, you know, the performance isn't off. We're not seeing any other symptoms, but something is not right. And it's because we just, something happened. They had a, maybe they had a metabolic insult, um, Again, maybe we've got some pathogens happening in the gut, and they're just not going to perform where they're at. But if we can minimize those insults when those cattle come on feed, we've got a better rumen environment, we've got a better lower GI environment, the cattle are going to get more out of every bite of feed, and they're just going to perform better. And in talking about you know, the pathogens and what's going on in the gut. It seems like gut health is a word that we use and hear a lot in the swine industry, but not so much in the cattle industry. 
Right. And I think we're a little behind the eight ball on that when we're looking at our partners in the swine industry. But in the maybe the last five years or so, gut health on the cattle side has been a big thing. And we're just, even in people, we're talking about how much of our immune system is in our gut. And so we need to keep that functioning optimally so that not only do we maintain our health overall, fewer sick days, if you will, but we're also getting better absorption of the nutrients. So we have less of those valuable nutrients coming out and landing on the on the floor of the feedlot and getting back out on our cropland. More going into that animal, better return on your investment. I wish, I think animals probably wish sometimes they had sick days. That's a good way to put that. I love that. <laughs> uh, so doing a deeper dive into the performance primer product itself. That's a little bit of a mouthful. Tell me about the, we talked a little bit about the application use, but tell me a little bit more about how that can be weaved into a nutrition system on, on beef farms. Sure. Well, we designed our Kent Performance Primer, KPP, if you will, uh, to be uh, just a top dress. So even if so, if you know that you have a heat event coming up or you have some cattle that are having a rough start, even if maybe they're a low stress situation, but they're just not getting to where you want them, you can just top dress that on the TMR. It's designed to be in for 14 to 21 days and then come right back out. And if you're worried about dilution because we're not reformulating, we've also added additional trace minerals in the form of amino acid uh, complexes and a little extra vitamin E and selenium for antioxidant function. Okay, there are a lot of big science words in there. I'm not a, I'm not a science brain. That's not, that's a little over my head. Explain, share with me the breakdown of those products that you just mentioned there. What, why do I need those in my animal feed? Sure. Well, uh, the trace mineral amino acid complexes is an organic trace mineral. So essentially we've taken that metal, which is inorganic because it does not have any carbon and it's been bound to an amino acid, which has carbon. So it uses a different transporter in the guts. And I like to say it's like going to a really big sporting event and buying your ticket ahead of time so you know you're going to get in, that's our organic trace mineral, or going up to the ticket window and hoping that you can buy a ticket that day. And that's what our traditional trace mineral transporter is. They can only take so much at a day and then it shuts off. So having an organic source in our feed like we do in KPP ensures that we're going to get a little extra in because there's no... Uh, quota, if you will, on that transporter in the gut. Okay, got it. That makes a lot more sense. So in looking then at, at some of the other products, the other one was chelating. Is that, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. <laughs> so a chelating agent, which is part of our NutriVantage Nutrition Optimizer, kind of does the same thing as an organic trace mineral. So, But it's doing it with things that are floating around in the digesta. So it'll find a, a trace mineral metal and it'll bind it to an amino acid that's been cleaved by the enzymes in the body. And so that way we can use that special transporter and we're not uh, maxing out our, our regular uh, trace mineral transporters. Okay, so again, looking at, at some of the more science base on that, you do a lot of research. You already mentioned one of the studies that you did with some of those bigger, heavier cattle. Obviously, research drives sales, research drives what you're doing. Tell me a little bit more in depth about some of that research, how it compared, how this KPP product worked in, in actual operations. 
Sure. Well, we're lucky enough that we have our own research farm in Muscatine, Iowa, and we did a couple of studies um, this summer and fall with some high-risk cattle. So we, we sourced cattle out of Kentucky, and uh, they had kind of a rough start coming over. Small lots. Um, it actually took them two days to fill the pot truck. Uh, so these were some really high-stress cattle coming a long ways on a truck. I mean, probably the worst-case scenario that you could have coming into a feedlot. Um, with the first group of calves, uh, they were in the yard for about two, excuse me, two weeks or so. And then we had a really massive heat event in Iowa. We Temperature ranged between 93 and 103 degrees, which is miserable. Plus there's humidity on top of that. And the, the awesome thing that we saw is that those cattle that were on KPP maintained and actually increase their intake during the middle of that uh, heat event. They did have a slight drop off and then they came right back up. Whereas our control cattle, their intake essentially crashed and then eventually came back up, but they never caught back up to their peers on the KPP. So that poses the question, obviously we wean at all different times of the year. Does KPP make more sense to use maybe in, in the summer months when you're adding stress plus the heat? Or does it still make sense to add it in those periods of time when maybe you're doing, you know, winter or early spring uh, weaning as well? Well, you can use it any time of the year, really. And in the second group of cattle, we did have a cold stress event, and we did see some changes in intake. It wasn't data that I presented today, um, but it does have some advantages because when you have cold stress, they are going to eat a little bit more to get, get some of that heat of fermentation. But then when it warms back up again, now we're kind of moving into a heat stress event because we've had such a large shift in temperature. So anytime... Um, regardless of the time of year, with starting cattle, KPP makes a lot of sense. You got to start those cattle off right. See, I weaved the I weaved the slogan in there for you. But uh, the other big piece, obviously, of the operation is we've got to talk about the financial, the economic aspect of it. Does this make sense for my operation? You shared some information. I'm not going to steal your thunder about really the savings that you receive from using this type of product in a beef operation. Yes, yeah, so based on the results we saw with um, our dry matter intakes and our um, average daily gains in our research trials at the research farm in Muscatine, um, for every dollar that you spend with for your cattle on KPP, we will earn you $3 back. Which is, that sounds like it's too good to be true, so tell me how, how that works. Well, what, what we're looking at is uh, we've got improved average daily gains, we've got improved dry matter intake, more consistent at dry matter intake, and we are improving our feed efficiency. So not only are maybe are you spending just a little bit more on the front end on the ration itself, but you're going to have more pounds of calves to sell at the end of, at the end of your feeding period. And the other thing to note, too, in talking about kind of the product breakdown, this is an all-natural product, which it seems that the consumer front is demanding that. What do you see as far as, I guess, other products hitting the pipeline? What do you see as the future of the beef nutrition industry when it comes to that consumer demand? Sure. Well, I think we're really starting to get more sensitive to our what our consumers are wanting, and we're making shifts for that. And it's not to say that everything needs to shift to that all natural, but uh, I think we have to face fact that while we, we still have a VFD and we still are able to feed ionophores, there may come a day when consumer demand says no more. 
and I, I cringe. I hope that day never comes, and I think a lot of uh, our producers would say the same, but you never know. And so having a product that fits an all-natural, or even for somebody that's in an all-natural program already, having something that fits their needs and shows excellent results is a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. Well, Terry, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Before I let you go, though, if folks would like to get more information about the KPP product, how can they do that? Well, they can visit our website, kentfeeds.com, and if they go up to the search button, they can type in Kent Performance Primer, and it'll bring up all of our information. You can also contact your local Kent dealer. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a very successful NCBA. Terry, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Delaney. It's been great chatting with you, too. Well, again, a big thank you there to Terry. Really interesting stuff, and I think she does a great job breaking it down into layman's terms and making it understandable because i, I got to say, sometimes some of that science stuff might goes over my head, but I felt like Terry does a great job of explaining it. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating that we have been feeding livestock for whatever, ever since they've been domesticated, and yet here we are, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, I don't know, the years later, we're still able to find new efficiencies, find new ways to do it better, and find ways to really get the most out of those animals. And that's a testament to what they're doing at, at Kent and at uh, other researchers around the country in developing these tools. That is so true, Mike. Such a good point. Well, listeners, we talk about tools all the time on the Ag News Daily podcast, so if you want to hear some of the shows you might have missed, check our website at agnewsdaily.com and visit us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for Ag News Daily, and we'll be there. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.